Good morning, church. Good to have you here today. For those of you in-house or joining us online, either live or re uh, after the fact, we're so glad you're with us today. Uh, we're going through the book of Acts. And Acts, what we're going to see is if some of you are gardeners right now, you're seeing some of your, your, uh, the stuff you planted, your, your vegetables or whatever, flowers. Hopefully your flowers are blooming by now. But you're seeing some of those come up, right? You, you drove by some fields. You see the corn. We're in Iowa. You see corn. You know, knee high by the 4th of July, right? And so this is kind of what's going on with the early church. Now, if a storm came through, like it did a couple of years ago, it could just take out like a whole bunch of crops, right? It, it could be very dangerous. And that's kind of part of where we're going to go today. Because what's happening in the early church is it's just at its infant stage. It's just beginning. And there's some major things that are happening. And there's a lot of unknowns about what's happening. And so what's going on here is this. We, we talked about this last weekend. We said that Peter and John had been out preaching. They had been talking about Jesus, the Messiah, who had come from heaven to earth, who was the Messiah, who was crucified but rose on the third day and ascended back into heaven. And he was brought in by the religious establishment. And they said, you need to stop preaching. And Peter and John had that great answer. They said to, they said to the religious leaders, they said, well, whether we listen to you or listen to God, you be the judge, but we choose God. And then uh, one of the religious leaders said, you know, they had realized that, why, why are these guys so bold? Where did it come from? And then they had the great phrase, and Mark talked about it last weekend, they had been with Jesus. That's always going to be the transformation in our lives. When we're with Jesus, we, there's something that changes within us. We're different people because we're with him, right? And that's what we want to talk about. So there's some, but there's some problems because the early church had persecution on the outside, but there's going to be some internal problems that we're going to see. And one of them is today. We're going to see one of the internal problems, and then there's going to be another one uh, that we're going to talk about next weekend. But let's jump to, uh, let me just talk, though, for a minute about the strengths of the early church, because there were a number of them. And there were three things that the early church was known for in their day, okay? And here they are. They, they were sexually pure in their relationships. See, they believed that sex was something that was exclusive for the marriage covenant. Now, I know our world is spinning out of control today in this whole area, and it's all over the place. And there's a lot of churches that are kind of going, well, you know, we want to be seen as loving, and, and, and I get all that. But here's, here's the bottom line. Here's, the bo here's where we are as a church. We believe that we need to treat all people with dignity and respect, but we also need to hold firmly to the clear teachings of Scripture. The day that we stop following the teachings of the Scriptures, the day it's game over. It's not just game over for where we are in our views of sexuality. It's a game over with our views of where we are salvation. So we either believe what the Scriptures say or we don't. And, and they're pretty clear. And I'm not going to go into details, but what I want you to know is the early church was seen as a church that was selective about their sexuality. It was meant to be used and demonstrated and expressed in a covenant marriage relationship. That's the first thing. Second thing is they were powerfully bold in their witness. Now it's interesting because persecution is starting to come. It's not... It's not cool to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. And they're getting persecuted. 
So Peter and John come in, and they all begin to pray. But they don't pray like Americans. You know how Americans would pray if we felt persecution? Lord, put a hedge about us, protect us, keep us safe. Don't let anybody harm us. And look at the prayer. Look at the prayer that they prayed. I'll read it to you. This is uh, what they prayed. They prayed, Lord, consider the threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They didn't pray for protection. They prayed for boldness. They said, Lord, help us not to, 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 to hide like mice, but to stand up like men. Here's the third thing. They were collectively generous with their possessions. They cared for others. And this is really where we're going to go today because this is really the focus of our text today. Now, I gave you a, a really kind of a clickbait title um, you know, <laughs> if you read the title, Are You a Gutless Giver? And that's just meant to kind of, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that, and I'm going to explain what I mean by that. But the early church was very generous. They saw the needs of those around them, and they met the needs around them. And those are the three things that the early church was known for. They were sexually pure, they were bold in their witness, and they were really generous. They were really generous. And I think those are three traits that any church would say, Hey, that's not a bad thing. I think that's a good thing. Well, let's, let's talk for a minute about why do we struggle? Because the early church didn't struggle with this. Why do we struggle to give? Some people would say, well, the reason we don't give is because we're selfish. We're just selfish people. No, I don't think it's because we're selfish. I think it's because we're gutless. And what I mean, you know, so some of you are going, oh, I'd rather be seen as selfish than gutless. You know, see, you know. <laughs> but here's what it comes down to. It comes down to a lack of faith. I mean, tell, answer this question. When, are, when do you feel more comfortable? When your cupboards and your closets are full or when they're empty? Yeah, we like trusting God when our closets and our cupboards are full, but it's hard when, they're, you know, they're empty. We, we don't want to be in that place, right? Well, that's a lack of faith. That's being kind of gutless. That, that's, that's not what characterized the early church. Um, let, let's look at that for a minute. Look at the, the, look at the example of the early church. So this is, we're going to jump into the Word of God. And it, if you have a, a, a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. So let me just say this for a minute. Those of you that are here, I'm assuming that in any audience, you're going to have people like me when I first became a Christian, and I felt like I was a complete idiot because I didn't know anything. And I didn't like it when people talked over me and talked theologically and talked about all this stuff, and I didn't understand it. And uh, then there were other times when people were speaking to me. And so what we're going to try to do is, and some of you have read through this story. You've read it a number of times. You know this story that I'm going to talk about. You're going to walk out of here and go, yeah, I didn't pick much up today. You know, good for you. You should, but good for you. Um, but that being said, some of you are going, I have no idea. I've never read this. I don't even know. Book of Acts, is that a Bible book? Is that in the Old Testament or New Testament? You're in good company here, okay? Because there's a number of people in this group and watching online that don't know the Bible. And they're, they're kind of going, okay, what's this all about? And so I want to try to be very basic, but also show some deeper things that are going on in the passage. So let me read, you, read to you Acts 4.32. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed anything, uh, claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. 
With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from, that, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put, them, put it at the, the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had a need. So this is not talking about communism. I've read some people who said, this is an illustration of communism. And no, it's not communism. And it's not communalism. It's not people living together and hanging out like hippies. That's not what's going on here. It's a community of faith. It's a community of believers. They saw the needs of other brothers and sisters, and they were meeting the needs of the people around them. And that's what's going on here. But they had a strong trust in God. And it gave them a powerful boldness in their witness and, and to the world. And a generosity to one another. And those are the things that characterized the early church. That was what was going on in their lives. Um, so uh, I'm going to kind of jump on a couple of topics. Because there is, there's a number of things that this passage raises questions to. Is there... When you think about it, is there a priority to what you should do with what you have, your resources, your money? And, 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 then the, and there are in Scripture, and this is just kind of a side note. So, number one, your family should come first. You have a responsibility to take care of your family. If you have adult, uh, adults, uh, parents, that you, you need to make sure they're okay. And you have kids, you need to make sure they're okay. The Bible says in 1 Timothy, if you don't take care of your own family, shame, it doesn't say this, but essentially it says, shame on you. You know, you have a responsibility. Second, you have a responsibility to a church family, to the church. Uh, notice what he says. This is a Galatians 6.10. Paul says this. He says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. And in that passage, he's talking about sharing resources, which is what the early church was doing. So you have a responsibility to take care of your family, the early church. And then the last one is, you have, we all have what I call a sphere of influence. These are the people that you come in contact with every day. They may be friends, they may be neighbors, co-workers, they may be perfect strangers, but God brought them across your path. And you have a responsibility to do something, to stamp out and to step up and to help those when you can help them. When there's a need and you can meet it, you should meet it. If you have more than you need, you should help that need, okay? So, the perfect example, the passage, we don't have time to go in it. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. What was going on in the parable of the Good Samaritan? Well, we had this guy who was beaten up by robbers and left for dead on the side of the road. And three people come by. Now, each one of those three people, two of them were very religious. They came by. And in their sphere of influence that day, that guy was by the side of the road. And it was the third guy who was a Samaritan. The Samaritans were hated by the Jews, and this was the punchline. He was the only one that stopped and took care of him. In other words, he saw that this, this person that was beat up, that he could help, he decided to help, and God, and, and that's the story of the Good Samaritan. So those are the priorities, your family, your church family, and then your sphere of influence. And if God has given you more than you need, then it means probably it wasn't meant for you to spend on yourself, but to share with others, okay? Now again, I'm going to talk about some things. Some of you have heard this, and like I said at the beginning, I want to assume that some of you don't know some of the, what's going on here. We're going to talk about Barnabas. 
Now, some of you know who Barnabas is, some of you don't know. Barnabas is going to be an interesting character. He's going to come, there's going to be a situation where he's going to go on a missionary journey. Missionary journey is just where uh, Paul the Apostle and Barnabas and others, they go on a trip and they take the gospel to different cities around the, the Roman world. Okay, that's what's going on. They'll get on a boat, they'll travel by foot. They go all over, and they do a number of these missionary journeys. And the book of Acts records a number of these journeys. Well, Barnabas is going to go with Paul on a missionary journey. But in our story today, Barnabas is going to sell some land and bring it to the church. We'll see that in a minute. But what I want you to see is it's really cool because Barnabas is the first one that I can see in Scripture that gets a nickname in the New Testament by the apostles. They call him, hey, let's call that guy Barnabas. You know, you get sitting around and going, hey, that guy is always encouraging people. What should we call him? Let's call him Barnabas. So he's, you know, his nickname is Barnabas because he is an encourager. Uh, Let me read that passage. This is chapter 4, verse 36. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means sons of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. All right, so let me just stop for a minute. Do you have a Barnabas in your life? A Barnabas is a person that you, you, you have coffee with, you talk with, you interact with, you, they, give, they send you a note, they send you an email, they send you a text. But whenever you're with them, you feel better. You feel encouraged. You feel like a load has been lifted. You feel like someone's in your corner. Good things happen when you're with Barnabas. You, you, you always walk away feeling better. Do you, do you have a Barnabas in your life? Is there somebody that, that because, you know, we have enough people that are like the two, you know, the, the, the bar between the battery terminals, that they, you're with them and they're like sucking the life out of you. You need to have people who kind of, you feel better when you're with them and you walk away and say, yeah, we got to get together again. You know, I really want to spend time with you because it's encouraging to me. Do you have people like that? Let me ask you another question. Are you a Barnabas to someone else, a son of encouragement, a daughter of encouragement to someone else? Are, are you a Barnabas to your children, to your grandkids? If not, why not? If you're married, are you a, a, a Barnabas to your spouse, to your husband, to your wife? Are you, are, are, you, are you empathizing? Are you encouraging? Are you listening? Are you speaking words, positive words into their lives? If not, why not? If you can't do that as a couple, and if you can't do that as a parent, then who's going to do it for your kids, and who's going to do it for each other in your marriage? See, it's one thing to have a Barnabas in your life. It's another thing to be of Barnabas in other people's lives. So, so that, that's who Barnabas is. And you're going to see him play it out. I mean, it's really cool how he plays it out. Barnabas basically goes toe-to-toe with Paul over this guy named John Mark. And John Mark is the, the guy that probably wrote the Gospel of Mark. And, and, and they have this, this disagreement. And Barnabas goes, I'm just going to keep my arm around this guy, John Mark, because I see potential. And then Paul goes, ain't nothing, there's nothing there. Later in life, Paul says, oh, yeah, I guess I was wrong. We all need those Barnabases, don't we? Well, here's what he does. He sells a piece of land that he has, and he lays the money at the apostles' feet. And he says, use it for whatever you want. Uh, I don't need, you know, I don't need it. God's given me more than I need. You know, he doesn't say that, but essentially that's what's going on. So 
what, what Luke is doing in here is he's holding Barnabas up as a great example of what we should strive to be. Like Barnabas, generous, encouraging, helpful, right? That's what he's holding up. Now, this is one of those times when you're reading through the Bible that it's, it's like... Uh, all right, so this is going to be, I'm going to date myself, and I didn't do this at the first service, and I'm kind of scared I'm doing this on tape, but I'm going to do it. Um, in the old days, kids, there used to be this thing called an eight-track player. The people that are laughing are the ones that know what I'm talking about. Everyone else has no idea. But it was like, it, would, it was four tracks, and I don't know why they call it an eight-track, but it was four tracks, and in the middle of a song, it would go, kick, kick, and then it would pick the song up. In the middle of the song, it would do that. And it was like so annoying because it's like, oh, that's a good kick, kick. No, no, I guess not. And it would, every time you, like you could listen to the song later on, and you would still hear the kick, kick, even though there wasn't one later on. This is what's going on in the chapter vision here. You're in the middle of people bringing their property and Barnabas bringing their property. Cha-ching! New chapter. That's where we're at. So let's go cha-ching to chapter 5. Now a man called Ananias together with his wife Sapphira also sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge. He kept back part of the money for himself but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said... Ananias, how is it that Satan, you might want to underline that, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for, kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not just lied to human beings, but to God. That's a key phrase there. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward and wrapped up his, uh, his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, he said, this is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at, her, at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard these uh, events. Wow, right? Didn't they do something good here? What's going on here? What did they do wrong? What did, you know, see, as you read through this, you go, I'm not really getting what they did wrong. That's pretty hard. They both dropped dead. What did they do wrong? Well, they lied about something. And they lied not him. Peter says, you didn't lie to men. You lied to God. And by the way, you can never lie to God, really, right? He knows. You know, you've had people lie to you and you know they're lying to you. Well, that's kind of what God does all the time. It's like, yeah, okay, whatever you want to say, but, it, you know, I know the truth. Here's what happened. Let's say you had uh, land and it was worth $10,000 and you sold it. 
and you brought it to the, and laid it at the apostles' feet. But instead of saying, here's $10,000, here's uh, all the money, or, or, or here's $5,000, here's all the money that we got for the land. And you told your wife, hey, honey, you know, um, I kind of want, I like, I like the, the accolades that Barnabas is getting. I think we could really pump up our image if we sold that land. But let's keep half for ourselves and let's give half to the church. But here's the thing. Let's tell them that we're giving them the whole amount. All the ten, right? And so they come in and he says, hey, Peter, we sold the land, kind of like Barnabas, and uh, we're going to give you all the money we got. We sold the land for $5,000. Really, we sold it for ten. But we're going to give you all the, all the money. And Peter looks at it and goes, Really? You're lying to me? You, you're lying to me. And Peter says to him, listen, you could have done whatever you wanted with the land. It was yours. Even when you sold it, you could have done whatever you wanted. You could have kept it for yourself. You could have done whatever you wanted. But what you decided to do was you decided to bring half of it in. And you could have brought half in and said, we sold it for $10,000. we are going to give you half. You could have done that. But instead of doing that, you lied about it. And he says, you didn't just lie to men. You lied to God. And he drops dead. Now his wife... His wife is fully aware of the, of the charade that's going on. He, they, she knew. She was in on it. She approved of it. And so she comes in about three hours later wondering where hubby is. Where are you? What happened? She walks in. Peter says, hey, uh, did you sell the land for 10000 Yeah, 10000 That's the whole... Boom. She's down. The, little, the, the, the guys come. They take her. She's dead. And, and so that's kind of what's going on here. Now, what's happening is very interesting. You say, because some people say, well, that, that seems rather harsh, doesn't it? Doesn't that seem like over, overreaching? Luke, Luke puts something very interesting in the passage. I don't know if you, I tried, I, I mentioned that you should underline it. But notice Peter says to, to Ananias, he says, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? What Luke is doing here is he's pulling back the spiritual curtain. There is a dimension in our world that we can't see. It's a spiritual dimension. And what Luke is doing is he's pulling it back and he's saying, Satan is trying to have sway. He's trying to have influence on this early church. He's trying to plant hypocrisy. He's trying to plant deceit. He's trying to plant these seeds that are going to grow and are, they're going to ultimately destroy the church. Weeds within the church. And this is the beginning of the weeds. He wants to destroy the church before it even begins. That's his, that's his job. Now, let me just stop for a moment, call a timeout, and mention something that Peter says here, because I think it's important, especially as we talk about the spiritual dimension of life. We believe that there is, a, there is a dimension of life. We know it. We know there's evil. We know there's good. We know there's a moving force behind the scenes. We just, we just know it. We can sense it. Uh, materialists would say, no, there's no material. There's just the physical. We say, no, uh, there, there's only the material. We say, no, there's the spiritual. Um, he says two things. Peter says two things here in this passage that are very interesting. First, he says 
that you lied to the Holy Spirit. Some people think the Spirit of God is a power or a force or an energy. He's not a power or force or energy because powers, forces, and energies don't have personality. You can't lie to a force. You can't lie to a power. But you can lie to a person. And so it's the person of the Holy Spirit, okay? So that's the first thing you need to see, that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not an animate object or a power or a force. Secondly, later on, Peter says, you didn't just lie to, you, you didn't lie to men, you lied to God. And so what he's doing there is he's attributing deity to the Holy Spirit. He's saying, this person you lied to is also God. Now, all through the Gospels, you read through all through the Gospels, and the Gospel writers, especially John, are saying, Jesus wasn't just a man. He wasn't just a rabbi. He wasn't just a Messiah. He wasn't just a healer. He was God's son. He is God, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right from the beginning, what what John is saying is Jesus wasn't just a man. He was the God-man. And so what What I think Luke is doing here is he's saying the Holy Spirit isn't just a force or a power. He is a person, but he is the God person. He is the Spirit of God. You lied to God. You lied to the Spirit of God here. And so he's attributing personhood and deity to the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And it's important for you to see that. So let's get back to this question of was the punishment too hard? Well, their motive for giving was not, God, not God's honor or love for their neighbors, concern for their community, but honor among men. They wanted to be seen and by, seen by men. That's what they wanted. Their sin was hypocrisy. It was false piety. It was a lack of integrity. And, and Jesus railed on that when he walked. Remember, there are times where he says, he says to the religious leaders, he says, you guys dress yourself up and you, you have all this rigmarole going on and you say, I'm going to go pray, I'm going to go pray, I'm going to go pray. And he says, go into your closet for crying out loud. I'm sick of the hypocrisy. Remember the, the two men that went up to the temple to pray? The one goes in and he's all, it's all, you know, show it, you know, it's all show. And, and he gets down, he says, Lord, I thank you that I do this. And I thank you I do this. And I thank you to do this. And I'm glad I'm not like this guy over here. What a putz. And he's crawling in on his face and he says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, two men went up to the temple to pray that day and one walked out forgiven. Jesus, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not really cool about all the hypocrisy. I'm not cool about you doing your acts to be seen by men. And folks, this is American Christianity. We want to be seen as having our act together. We never fail. We never do bad things. We never have bad thoughts. And, and you know, let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. Let's just stop playing games. And Ananias and Sapphira came and they tried to play a game. And Peter would have none of that and God would have none of that. And he says, there are going to be no games. We are going to be honest. We are going to be loving. We are going to be pure. We are going to be bold. But we are not going to be hypocrites. We're not creating a religion. We're creating a movement of the gospel here. And it can't start polluted. It can't start with weeds. And that's why God is so severe. Very interestingly, 
There's this story, and you can make reference to it in a, in a, afterwards. In the book of Joshua, there's this city, and it's this huge city. It's, it's very fortified, and, and it's like one of those old, you know, movies that you see of medieval times, and they have the big castle. It's, it's just hard to get. It's called Jericho, and Joshua's given a task to destroy Der- Jericho. They walk around the city, and they're told one thing, though. They said, when, you, when, when the walls of Jericho come down, here's the one thing you better not do. No one better do it. Do not take anything, not one dime. They didn't have dimes, but, you know, you get my point. Don't take anything. None of the spoils you take. And there was one guy. His name is Achan. I guess he was Achan to take something. I don't know what he was doing. But he took something. And he hid it in his tent. And so the next time they go against this little town, it's like Ei, like Piasta or something like that, you know. And though Piasta is growing, so good for you. And some of you are, I can't believe he insulted Piasta this morning. <laughs> the mayor's calling me. Yeah, about the sermon this last week. Oh, you want to lay off? <laughs> but, but they co- co- come to Ai and Joshua says, we don't need to send everyone. Let's just send us a small army. And they send a small army and they just get whooped. And Joshua is understandably upset. And he goes, God, what is going on here? We're doing everything you told us to do. We're following your directions to the letter. And God basically says to Joshua, who is a righteous person, he says, Joshua, there's sin in the camp. Go take a look. Well, Joshua does go take a look, and he finds that Achan has taken some of the spoils, and many men died in that battle in Ai. They bring Ai, or they bring uh, Achan out, and he's 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 killed. He's basically punished for his sin. This is this is what we're talking about in the Book of Acts. This is a very serious business. Now, just because we don't make a big deal about our sin doesn't mean it isn't a big deal. So no, their punishment wasn't too harsh. And this is a critical time for the early church to take good, deep, healthy roots. And God would not allow compromise to be inserted by the enemy in his church. It's going to have enough struggles. It can't, it can't grow with weeds, especially when it starts out. A couple lessons will close with these. Number one, you can lie to yourself. You can lie to your family. You can lie to your neighbors and all the people around you. But you can't lie to God. So why bother? Right? Why bother? Because one day it's going to come out. Number two, do you know the difference between being a servant and being an owner, or an owner and a steward? So when you're an owner, you basically get to decide what you're going to do with, the, with what you own and what you have. So it's my car, my kids, my house, my life, my job, my, it's, you know, it's my, 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 right? That, And I get to decide. It's my body. You know, we hear all this stuff, right? But when you're a a steward, when you're a servant, and you don't own it, but you're just a steward of it, that means that you have a responsibility to someone else who owns it. Now, so let's, let's take this as an example. Let's just say 
that you own a, a really brand new cutting edge apartment uh, facility. It, it's got a uh, hundred units. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. State of the art. It's got a swimming pool. It's got the, it's got a health club. It's got a restaurant. It, it's beautiful. And the owner says to you, you're in charge. Take care of it. Watch over it. I'll be back in a year. He comes back in a year and it's dilapidated. The pool is green. There's mice running around. The units look horrible. It stinks to high heaven. It's just awful. The owner says to you, looks at you, say, what in the world have you done? Or more importantly, what haven't you done? What, what have you been doing? <laughs> because the owner has the right to do that, right? They, they, they own it. And as a steward, you want them to come back in a year and say, this is even better than it was. You've improved it. You've made it better. It's functioning so well. This is exactly what I had envisioned it to be. That's what you want to hear. Now, we're, as Christians, we're all about wanting God's judgment on people, right? God, come back and judge this wicked world, right? Some, of, some people are all about that. I can't wait till God comes back and sets things right and judges all the wicked and evil people. Okay. But let's just call, call a time out here. Because one of the judgments that I read about in my Bible is that Christians will be judged and how they use their time, their talent, and their treasure. It's called the parable of the talents. And the master comes and he calls all of the servants together, and he says, I gave you time, I gave you talent, I gave you treasure. None of it belonged to you. It all belonged to me. Now it's time for you to tell me what you did with the resources that I gave you. And every follower of Jesus Christ will be called to give an account for what we have done. We started out talking about being gutless givers. One of the things you ought to think about is one day God is going to say, okay, it's time for your review. So you can, you can look at other people who are bad people over there and look for their judgment, but just understand that judgment begins with the house of God. That one day we will be judged with how we do with the resources God has entrusted into our lives. So here's the point. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're not an owner of anything. You don't own that car you came in. You don't own that house you live in. You don't own those kids that you are raising they don't belong to you. They belong to him. It's your responsibility to be a good steward and a manager of what he's given you. By the way, you don't own the money you own. You don't own the bank account. You don't own the retirement account. You don't own, the, 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 you don't own your pulse or your blood. The gift of life is a gift from God. It's not yours. Why do we expect it? We deserve it. Every day that you live on this planet is a gift from God. But we don't look at it that way, do we? Mine. We say it's mine. No, it's not. It's his. We just don't understand who the owner is. See, the one thing that Barnabas and the early church understood was, and the reason they were bold was, they understood who was the owner. 
And they understood the resources were meant to be shared and used and helped. They under, and they had the boldness and they weren't, they, they, it wasn't, they, they were not stingy. And the reason they weren't stingy and the reason they prayed not for safety, they prayed for boldness is because they said, God's going to have to take care of me. Some of you are all so bent out of shape and worried about the world and the state of the world and the change in our society over the last number, couple of years. And you're all freaking out about it. And all that just shows is that you're not, just not willing to trust that God has your life in his hands. And he's going to take care of things. And that your job is just to be a faithful witness of Jesus Christ today and, and to leverage your resources for his kingdom and to be a bold witness, to li live a pure life, and to be a Barnabas to other people. There's a lot in this passage. We, we can't get to it. But let me just give you three last questions. Number one, are you bold in your witness? No, and I'm not saying be obnoxious, be arrogant. That's not what I'm talking about. But on a scale of one to ten, with ten being, you know, I try to really share when I have opportunities. I look for those opportunities. I pray for those opportunities. Number two, are you generous in your giving? Are you a gutless giver or are you saying, you know, I'm trying to leverage as many, much resources as I can for his kingdom? Number three, are you honest in your actions or do you play a good game? You got everybody around you fooled. By the way, parents, stop playing games in front of your kids. They know you're playing games. One of the worst things you could do as a parent is try to play a game like you're, you're really, you know, you really love Jesus and you really are, you're sold out to Jesus and you tell your kids that's what... But, but they can see in your heart that you're not. Just be honest with them. Don't play games with them. They know it anyway. I can tell you this. If it's not real in your life, chances are it's going to be hard for your kids to find it real in their lives. You can't pass on what you don't have. So stop playing games and stop being hypocritical. Because God doesn't like it. So how, how do you do in those areas? How do you do in your area of witness? How do you do in your area of giving? How do you do in your area of, your, your area of, of, of actions? Are you, are you living a hypocritical life or are you being transparent? God knows your heart. You can fool the people around you, but you'll never fool him. And one day you will stand before him. You prepare now for then. Stand with me, let's pray. Help us, Father, because without your help, without your whole indwelling Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, we can't do this. We are powerless. We are helpless. But we thank you that you've given us your Spirit. Jesus said, I'll leave another helper just like me, and he won't be with you. He will dwell within you, the Spirit of God, and he will guide you and direct you and convict you. <laughs> and we need convicting, Father, and we need guiding. And maybe some of us need to spend some time on our knees before you today and straighten some things out. Maybe recommit our lives. Maybe think seriously about where our lives are going. But Father, do whatever work needs to be done in each and every one of our hearts. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.